precious Father in heaven. God, we're longing for something more this morning. Lord, we've come and we're here to worship you. And we've had a, a week with maybe lots of cares, concerns, things on our hearts, but we would see Jesus. We want to be blessed by you this morning. We want to be filled with your Holy Spirit. We want to experience you like we've never experienced before. God, do something special among us this morning. Something unexpected. Do something through the power of your Holy Spirit. And we give all the credit and the glory to you and to Jesus. Because Jesus is worthy. We're not worthy, but we call upon the worthy name of Jesus and ask that you speak to us this morning through your power and by your grace. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. A lot of you know that I developed an obsession for climbing mountains when I was in my, uh, maybe around the age of 10 or a little after that, and began climbing mountains in Colorado. Now, when I first started hiking with my parents at a young age, I had this competitive drive in me. Do any of you have a competitive drive? It's kind of natural for us. A lot of us have this, this need to be first, this need to win, this need to be the best. So from the time I was little, I always wanted to be at the front of the trail when we went hiking. It really wasn't that big of a deal. Everybody's going to get to the same place. We're going to get to see the same things. But there's just something that bothered me about people walking past me, people hiking ahead of me. I just wanted to be first. So when my mom and I would begin to climb 14ers, it would be just the two of us together. We'd be going to climb a 14,000 foot peak. We'd get there really early in the morning so that we could avoid the thunderstorm. We'd get up and we'd get to the trailhead by sometimes 5.30, 6 a.m. and it's dark. You're headed out on the trail. And at that time, there's nobody else on the trail. So I'm happy to hike along with my mom. We're hiking up the trail. It's just a great day. Mom, isn't this great? We can just hike together today hiking along the trail, when all of a sudden I begin to hear voices behind me. People are coming up the trail. Other people that started a little bit later, they're beginning to go, and and they're catching up with us. Hey, Mom, let's go a little faster. No, Mom, we don't need a break. Let's just keep going, Mom. Mom, they're going to pass us. And pretty soon I say, my mom would look at me and she'd say, Zach, just go ahead and go. So you sure you're going to be okay? Yeah, just go ahead and go up the trail. Okay, I'll see you later, Mom. I'll wait for you at the top. And then I would take off up the mountain as fast as I could, just killing myself because I wanted to be the first one to the top. Have you experienced that before where you just want to be first, you just want to be the best? <laughs> well, this past summer, I, this has been a problem for me for a long time. I've had a hard time just hiking with my family. You know, you go on a family vacation and the goal should be to be enjoying vacation with your family. But instead, for some reason, I have this obsession. I need to go climb that peak. I'm going to run up and I'll be back and I'll, t- I'll see you guys at the, uh, if you want to stay down here, that's fine. And it doesn't really facilitate that family togetherness that is the whole point of a family vacation. Well, this past vacation, my brother and his family was there. So I have two nephews. One's five years old and one's nine years old. And we were hiking on the trails with them, and I began to realize something. I wanted to hike with my nephews. I wanted to hike with my family. I wanted to stay with them. And so I said, you know what? I'm going to hike with them today. And so when people would come, they'd pass us by, I'd just pray to Jesus. That's what you got to do when you have those temptations to do things. Just talk to Jesus. Say, Jesus, I want to do something different right now, but would you fill my heart with love? So 
one day we were hiking and we hiked to the top of this pass and I discovered something. My nephews are excited about climbing mountains, even though one's five years old and the other one's nine years old. Well, we hiked to the top of this pass and that was the end goal from all the adults in the group. But when we got up there, we began to look at the the mountains that were around us and we began to see that it was a clear day. There weren't going to be any thunderstorms. And I said, hey guys, look at that mountain over there. And my little nephew, Sean's like, let's climb it or let's go over to that snow patch over there. I said, yeah, let's go over to that snow patch over there. It was about halfway to the mountain. So we're hiking along the ridge. We get to the snow patch. We're playing in the snow patch and My little nephew, Sean, just wanted to stay and play in the snow. He didn't want to go any further, but pretty soon my brother and I were talking to him. We said, hey, let's just go and let's see if we can climb that mountain over there. Do you think we could do it? No, I want to play in the snow. But imagine what the view is like from up there. Okay, eventually we convinced him and I said, what if I give you a piggyback ride for a while? Okay, so he'd hop on my back and here's a picture of us hiking up the mountain. There's my little nephew, Sean, you see him, he's five years old, and that's my older nephew, Daniel, he's nine years old, and their little legs are going up that mountain, those are some strong kids, but as we go, sometimes they get tired and we need to take a break, or sometimes Sean would need a little bit of a carry, but eventually, we made it to 12,900 feet. We didn't know if this was a real mountain or not. It was just a mountain that we saw there. But we got up there, and you see there in my hand, I'm holding a registry, which is what you sign at the top of mountains. And in that registry, I flipped through the pages, and just a month before, it said, this is Mount Deming, and we are the Deming family. We've been climbing this mountain for years, and we just had the youngest Deming to ever climb this mountain at eight years old. I looked over at my nephew, Sean, and I said, Sean, you very well may be the youngest person that has ever climbed this mountain at five years old. He said, really? And just to see the look on his face, I realized staying together is worth it. Hiking together is worth it. And when we came down the mountain, there's the mountain behind us. When we got to the bottom, well, this is actually just the meadow where our family was waiting for us. My dad was there and he was clapping for Sean and Daniel for them having made it up this mountain. And they just came running across the meadow with these big smiles on their faces because they had climbed their first mountain. There's something about being together that helps us to conquer challenges that we couldn't conquer if we were just by ourselves, if we were just doing it on our own. You know, sometimes when we think about witnessing, we think about the challenges that there are, because we live in America. There's so much of a secular influence. There's so many difficulties to actually sharing our faith. I mean, at work, when you share about Jesus, it's great, and people believe in Jesus, but do they really know the Jesus of the Bible? And do they really want to sit down with you and have a Bible study? How do I share with my family? How do I share with my friends in a way that actually makes them excited to know Jesus better? It's challenging today to do witnessing, isn't it? It's challenging to share our faith, to to even just live a life of love that people want to know my God. But is it more challenging than it was in Acts chapter 1? I invite you to go back with me to Acts chapter 1. Last week, we were looking at the story of where Jesus promises the disciples power for witnessing when the Holy Spirit comes upon them. In Acts chapter 1, verse 4, it says, And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. Jesus told them, don't go. 
We always talk about the Great Commission, which is what Jesus gave to his disciples to go and preach to all nations in Matthew 28, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But he said, but first, wait, don't go right away. First, do not depart from Jerusalem. You need to stay in Jerusalem. Now, this is very interesting because what were they going to face in Jerusalem? If you think about it, what had just taken place 40 days before in Jerusalem? Jesus had been crucified by angry mobs in this city. And here they were approaching the Feast of Pentecost, and soon these people who had been at the Passover were probably going to be coming back to the city. And I mean, this was going to be the most hostile place possible for followers of Jesus to be. Why go back to Jerusalem, Jesus? Are are you sure? Maybe we should go to Nazareth or maybe we should even just kind of leave Judea. It's a little bit safer out there where people aren't wanting to crucify our leader, let alone to hear that he's resurrected from the grave and that he's now... uh, They don't want to hear what we have to say, Jesus. But he told them to go and to wait in Jerusalem. And they were going to face another problem too. If you skip down to Acts chapter 2, we find the problem that they ended up facing. It says in verse 9, it describes the people of different nations who were, who were there in Jerusalem at the time. It said there are Parthians and Medes and Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, all these different cultures, all these different languages coming together. You see, at this time, the Jews had been dispersed widely through what was called the diaspora. And they, at this time, travel was a little bit easier, but still, language would have been a major issue. And as all these groups came to Jerusalem, they would have had all their different language groups. And can you imagine the difficulty of facing a hostile crowd who doesn't like the person who you're going to tell them about, who actually crucified him. You're facing a crowd who doesn't know the same language as you. I'd imagine that most of us haven't faced a situation that trying in order to witness for Jesus, wouldn't you guess? I'd guess that our work situation, they might be hostile. Our family situation, it, it may not be that people are friendly towards hearing about the Bible. But that situation, that was a tough situation. And yet Jesus tells them, go to Jerusalem, that place where I've been rejected, that place where I've been mocked, that place that the crowds put me to death. Go back to Jerusalem and wait there. Wait until you have received power and you're going to be my witnesses beginning in Jerusalem. So Jesus gives them this incredible promise and then Look at what they do. Jesus, in verse 9, it says that Jesus, after he had spoken these things, while they watched, this is back in chapter 1, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they were, they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. Can you imagine knowing that your best friend Jesus, the one that 
You'd been walking in his footsteps. You'd camped with him. He was the one who fed you. Uh, he was the one who provided uh, miracles for you. He raised your, your brother Lazarus from the grave. He, he did all these amazing things. You knew that he loved you. You knew that he cared so much for you. He taught you so much about God. And now you know that he has gone up into heaven. You watch him as he goes up. Maybe you've released a hot, uh, a helium balloon before and you watch as it gets smaller and smaller. And they're watching and no way. He's not coming back down. There, Jesus is, is going to be with God. And he promised them. He said, I'm going to go to the Father and I'm going to pray the Father that he would send you another helper, the comforter. So they knew that Jesus had gone to heaven so that he could ask the Father to pour out the Holy Spirit on them. They knew that this is what they were hoping for. This is what they were waiting for. That Jesus wasn't going to leave them alone. He said in John 16 that it, it is to your advantage that I go away. Because if I don't go away, then I will not send the Helper. So they knew that Jesus' presence was going to be brought to them by the Holy Spirit when Jesus ascended into heaven. They knew the promise of John 14, 12 that says, Most assuredly I say to you, the works that I have done, you will do also, and greater works than these because I have ascended to the Father. They knew all of these promises, and so what did they do? Verse 12 says, Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey. And when they had entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying, Peter, James, John, and Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, the son of Altheus, and Simon, the zealot, and Judas, the son of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Verse 15 goes on to tell us that there were 120 of them that were gathered there together in that room. 120 gathered in one accord. What were they doing? They were praying. So they continued in prayer. The word there in Greek is uh, proskatereo. It's a participle and the the whole idea here basically is that they were continuing earnestly they were they were earnestly praying to God without stopping they were constantly pouring out their hearts to God they were humbling themselves before God we've talked before about the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit is poured out in a special way as we are emptied of self and as there's room for Jesus to dwell in our hearts and they were there confessing sin to the Father confessing sins to each other they were there Asking for power to witness. They were there in Jerusalem. That place that would have been so hard to reach. That place with all the different languages. All the different people groups. All the people who, as far as they knew, hated Jesus. And wanted to put them to death too. They were there saying, God, would you give us power to reach these people? We learn so much from Jesus, but yet we need power. We can't do it just with our intellect. We can't just do it based on what we've been taught by Jesus. We need power from heaven to reach these people. And so they prayed. We know that they prayed for 10 days because the day of Pentecost came 10 days later. But when they started out to pray, Jesus just told them, do not depart from Jerusalem. Don't leave. And so they went and they prayed. And they were going to pray until something happened. 
And something powerful did happen. In chapter 2 and verse 1, it says, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came the sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, and one sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Here God says, I'm going to pour out power. And he pours out the exact power that they need. He sends the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit appears in the form that, that illustrates to them exactly what they're needing. It, it's tongues of fire just appearing above their heads. That must have been an interesting thing to see, to look around the room and you see these tongues representing that they were going to be given the ability to speak languages, that they were going to be able to reach this vast multitude of people. But not just that they would be able to speak the language, but they were tongues of fire. They were going to be set on fire with the love of Jesus. They were going to be so fired up about God that it would pierce to the very heart of these people. This is what God poured out on them when they were together in one accord in the upper room. Now, let's just say, I mean, sometimes we think about, okay, they spent 10 days in prayer. I mean, I don't have that kind of time to just pray. And I have so many things to get done and so many things to accomplish. And even in God's work, I mean, do I really have time to cut out in order to pray? But look at the result of what that prayer did. How long would it have taken them to learn that many different languages? Just the languages that are listed there in the passage? You have at least 11, 12, there's probably more languages even than that that were represented there. And all of a sudden, all of them are speaking these languages fluently. Have you ever tried to learn another language? I know Zalata Champion, she's not feeling the best today, pray for her, but Zalata knows what is it, five different languages? Amazing thing. How many of you know more than two languages? I guess a lot of it would be the only one raising your hand. Unless I missed some. Oh, there's one over there. Languages aren't easy to learn, let alone to learn more than ten languages and to, to be able to speak them fluently and in an instant. But that's the power of God. That's what God can do to help you when you're saying, God, I really need your help. When you finally come to the place to recognize that I can't reach my neighbor. I don't know how to help my family. I mean, I've, I've been meeting with them for years, but I have no idea what to say, what, what to do that's really going to want them to know my God. God says, I'm going to send you power. Through the Holy Spirit, He can make you a witness in an instant. I love what it says in the book, Acts of the Apostles, when it describes this, it describes what they were able to learn through the power of the Holy Spirit in just a moment. It says that the diversity of languages would have been a great hindrance to the proclamation of the Gospel. If we can get the PowerPoint up. The diversity of languages would have been a great hindrance to the proclamation of the Gospel. 
God, therefore, in a miraculous manner, supplied the deficiency of the apostles. The Holy Spirit did for them that which they could not have accomplished for themselves in a lifetime. You think about it. What took place on that day in just a moment with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit? The learning of all those languages so that they could suddenly speak all of those languages so fluently they couldn't have accomplished that if they had studied their entire lives. No, I mean, how many people know 11 languages? How many people can speak them fluently and communicate to them, let alone to a hostile crowd who has crucified the one that you're coming to tell them about? But God, in a moment, by the power of the Holy Spirit, accomplished what they couldn't have done in their entire lives. Friends, So often we're dependent upon what we can learn and what methods we can come up with and how we can go about doing something. But what we really need is to be praying for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We need to be going out and reaching out. We need to be doing everything possible. But it's not until we receive power that we'll really be able to witness. I feel so powerless sometimes when I'm talking to that neighbor that I, I just, I want to tell them so much. I want to just tell them about the goodness of Jesus. I want to tell them the truths of the Bible, the truth about the Sabbath, the truths about hell. I want to tell them all these wonderful things that reveal the character of God. But I don't know how. Even though I've had years of training, what I need is more of an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So what was it in this experience of the disciples that led them to this point of being able to receive the Holy Spirit with power? Why did they hold themselves up in a room and begin to pray together? I mean, Jesus had said to wait in Jerusalem. But had Jesus specifically told them to go and pray in Jerusalem? This doesn't specifically tell us that in Acts 1-4. But the disciples knew that that's what Jesus was meaning for them to do. They knew because that was the consistent pattern that Jesus had constantly taken them to the Mount of Olives to pray together. He'd constantly taken them when when they had the Mount of Transfiguration. He took Peter, James, and John with him up on the mountain to pray together. Look with me at Matthew 18. I imagine that this promise may have been prominent in the minds of the disciples when he told them to go to Jerusalem and don't leave there. Tarry in Jerusalem until you have received power from heaven. They would have had in mind, uh, while you're going to Matthew 18, they would have had in mind Luke 11 where it talks about the ask and you will receive. And it specifically goes on to say the Father is more willing to give the Holy Spirit then you are to give good gifts to your children. They would have known that, that God had told them specifically to ask for the Holy Spirit. And we are individually to seek the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on a daily basis, to take time to pray for the Holy Spirit, to, to be constantly pleading for the Holy Spirit throughout the day, asking God to fill us, to make us witnesses. That story is a story about the man who goes and begs for bread at midnight, this pleading until finally he gets the bread that he needs to give. And that's what we need. We need the Holy Spirit to give us the power to be able to share the bread of life with our friends, our neighbors, our family, our coworkers. Ask and you will receive. When you ask the Father, He's more willing to give you the Holy Spirit than your Father to give good gifts. But in Matthew 18, there's this beautiful promise in verse 19 and 20 they would have probably had this instruction in mind as they were told not to depart from Jerusalem. They would have thought about how Jesus had taught them to live and to pray and to become witnesses. Matthew 18, 
Verse 19 says, again, I say to you, this is such a powerful promise, that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, Ron Chalker uh, preached a beautiful sermon on this at the beginning of the year about what things could we ask God to do here in this community? If we ask God anything, what would we want him to see so that the love of Christ could be revealed in our community? Ask anything. If two of you agree together, so if two of you Come together, not just one, but two of you come together, agreeing together, asking for anything. It will be done by my Father in heaven. And then look at verse 20. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, and what are they doing? They're asking the Father. They're asking for God to, to give them blessings so that they can reach the world. If two or three of you are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. See, the disciples knew something. Jesus had ascended to heaven, and they, they'd seen him go, and they knew that he was at the right hand of the Father, but they knew that he was about to come. Not in his physical body, but he was going to come through the third person of the Godhead. He was going to come through the Holy Spirit, and he was going to come more powerfully than they could have had him otherwise. And they knew that that was going to come as two or three of them or 120 of them gathered together in one room, in one accord, pleading for the power to witness, pleading for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, pleading for the presence of Jesus. Do you want more of Jesus in your life? This is a promise you can take to the bank. This is a promise that says when two or three of you get together and you ask God for anything that he's going to hear he's going to answer but not only that i am with you isn't that powerful it's so simple and yet it's so profound it's so moving to know that the god of the universe that that our savior jesus christ who has ascended to heaven that through the power of the holy spirit when we get together and pray that he actually comes there he comes close to us so if I want to receive the Holy Spirit, I've begun to realize in my life that I need other people to pray with me. When I went to Andrews University, I began to study a little bit about this and about the power of united prayer. And my parents, uh, bless their hearts, have shared with me for, about this for years, but it takes me a long time to learn things. They told me about the power of praying together and when I got there, I said, you know, I should actually do this. When I come here, you know, I was hoping to learn a lot of things that would equip me for ministry going to the seminary. I was hoping to be able to come out and be able to, to preach better, to teach better, to, to be able to witness better. I was hoping to learn all of these things that would make me a better witness. But I said, you know what? More than anything else, I need Jesus. So there was the prayer ministries team at Pioneer Memorial Church and we decided to go and ask if we could help them. And then we found out that every Sabbath while Dwight Nelson preaches, this is at the Pioneer Memorial Church, that there's a group in the back room who are praying for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on him. No wonder he preaches such powerful sermons. And so we said, well, we'll be a part of that group. And we began each Sabbath to just go and to pray together. There were other groups that met they would meet during the week. There was one in the seminary that met, and I just said, okay, I'm going to join this group too. I don't know that I have time. I need to write these papers. But hey, 
God has all wisdom and He can give me the insights, the things that I need to write. Why not take the time, the extra time to seek Him? Because I wanted more of the presence of Jesus in my life. Towards the end of my time at the seminary, there was a special group of friends. One friend from California who I'd gone there with, Godfrey. Another friend, Nestor and Reed. We began to pray together consistently week by week. And God has led us since leaving seminary because of what it did in our lives while we were there. You know, I had a life change experience there. Not because of all the things I learned. Those things really helped me. But because I just recognized more and more that I wanted what Tammy talked about. I wanted my heart to reflect Jesus. That that was going to be the most important thing in my ministry was how much of the presence of Jesus did I have in my heart? How much did I love like Jesus? How much did I live like Jesus? So at the end of seminary, we decided that we'd keep this up. And so week by week, we kept praying together on the phone. We'd have a conference call or a Google Hangout, and we'd, we'd pray together. And you know, this summer, things have gotten pretty busy, and so we haven't prayed together for since maybe camp meeting, I think it was. And just the other week, I realized, you know what? I'm really missing this. It really makes a difference when we can be united together in prayer with somebody. So Friday, I called my friend Godfrey up and he agreed on a time that we could pray early in the morning and we just got together and prayed. If you haven't experienced it before, it can be so refreshing, so empowering when you and a close friend or you and, and your church family, when you come together, you're agreeing together in the Father's name, in Jesus' name, because Jesus comes right there in the midst of you and there's nothing better than the presence of Jesus. I've realized that I can't neglect this. No matter how life gets, how busy life gets, this is so important. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Because how many people were in the upper room? You remember from Acts chapter 1? In verse 15, it says there were 120 that were gathered together in the upper room. So how many people received the Holy Spirit? In Acts chapter 2 and, and verse 1, it says that all of those who were gathered together in one place, in one accord, it's very specific that they were together, they were in one place, they were in one room. That these were the ones who were filled with the Holy Spirit. So how many people received this outpouring for witnessing? How many people received this gift to speak other languages? How many people had their hearts set on fire by Jesus on the day of Pentecost? 120. It says that it was the, the wind filled that room where they were. Just there in the upper room, there's 120 of them there. And I thought, that's an incredible thing. What an amazing and powerful miracle of God that He poured out His Spirit on 120 people. But just recently, I've realized that this is actually kind of tragic. There were only 120 people there who received the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Because look in, Acts chap- in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you read down in verse 3, it says, For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. Cephas is another name for Peter. And then look at verse 6. After that, He was seen by how many? Over five hundred brethren. 
Zadelphos. This is the, the believers, those who were following Jesus' teachings, who believed in Jesus, who wanted to be witnesses for Jesus. 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained to the present, but some have fallen asleep. Before Jesus was taken up to heaven, how many people saw Jesus in person? 500. There were 500 that believed in Jesus, that knew that He had promised them power from heaven, that heard the Great Commission. This was probably they met together, likely when He said to meet in Galilee. In Matthew 28, verse 16, it tells that they all gathered together in Galilee, and that's right before He gives the Great Commission. So they knew that that Jesus wanted for them to receive power from heaven to become witnesses. Not only that, they knew the command Do not depart from Jerusalem. So the tragedy that we find in Acts chapter 1 and 2 is that there are only 120 people in the upper room. Because how many should have been there? There should have been at least 500. There are other names that are listed there. There should have been at least 500 people. We can say that at least 300 people missed the blessing of Pentecost. 300 people could have been part of those who were suddenly filled with power and and who were able to witness and then to see 3,000 baptized. Now, don't get me wrong. Immediately, the the Gospel begins to spread and 3,000 are baptized. And Peter says that the the promise is to you and your children, the Holy Spirit, as many as those who are afar off. The promise is for everyone. And the Holy Spirit began to spread more widely. But there were 300 who missed that blessing. And I don't want to miss that blessing. How about you? I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And that comes most powerfully when I consistently unite with others in asking for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I want to be part of that 120 who says, I'm going to be there. I'm going to be seeking Jesus with others. I want the presence of Jesus in my life. I want the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. In the Book Manuscript Releases, Volume 9, page 303. It talks about the incredible promise that Jesus gives us in Matthew 18, that if two or three of you are together in one place, that I am there in the midst of you. It says this, the promise is made on the condition that the united prayers of the church are offered. And in answer to these prayers, there may be expected a what? A power greater. I've realized that I'm dependent on other people. That's what Christianity does for us. It says we've got to be a body. We've got to come together. I can't just go, although it's important for me to go to my room and to be seeking Jesus on my own, I can't experience the power that I need alone. I need to be seeking Jesus together with others. There may be expected a power greater than that which comes in answer to private prayer. The power given will be proportionate to the unity of the members and that love for God and for one another. The more that we are united, the more that we love each other, and the more that we love God and we're earnestly seeking the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the greater that power will be unleashed in our lives. goes on to say in the book Evangelism, page 414, I love this, here are the great cities. Today, there are 7 billion people on the planet. Today, there is a greater responsibility that you and I have to reach this world than in the days when Jesus walked on this planet, in the days when the disciples did such wonderful things through God's power. God wants to do greater things through us today. It says, Here are the great cities with their millions of inhabitants that have not yet heard the last warning message. How are these to be warned? 
If the people of God would only exercise faith, He would work in a wonderful manner to accomplish the work. Hear the words of Christ. If two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. Precious promise. Do we believe it? What marvelous results would appear if the united prayers of this company were to ascend to God in living faith. What about the cities of Templeton, Paso Robles, Atascadero, San Luis Obispo, Los Angeles, San Francisco? Jesus wants to represent His love there through us as we seek the outpouring of the Holy Spirit together as we unite in prayer. One more manuscript releases, Volume 2. It says, I tell you, We must have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It is for us and we must have it. We are living in that time of this earth's history when we must, what? Meet to pray for the special blessing upon us individually. And then we shall be in Christ and through Christ victoriously. We are too easily satisfied with limited, special, far-between blessings. I don't want to be satisfied anymore with limited, far-between blessings. I want to meet together to pray. I want to gather together and say, Jesus, it's time to go home. Would You use us more powerfully? Would You pour out Your Holy Spirit on us more powerfully than we've yet experienced? I need power to witness. How about You? It comes when we unite together in prayer. When we unite and plead with God for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. When we unite in prayer for His work. When we get together and we, we pray for our school, the school that we're investing in so heavenly, so heavily, the school that, that we're seeing 13 kids learning about Jesus every day. Just this past week, one of the kids came up to me and he said, did you know, as one of the kindergartners, he said, did you know that God is your very best friend? You don't get that when you go to public school. You don't get that any other place than when you come to the Templeton Hills Seventh-day Adventist School. You learn about Jesus in a powerful way there. So let's get together and pray for our school. What if one morning a week there was a group of us that got together to pray at the school? What if we got together on the phone and we set up conference calls and we were all praying together saying, God, we need You to bless through our school. We have the It Is Written mailer coming up shortly that Leah introduced earlier where we're going to have the opportunity to give Bible studies out to people. 17,000 people in our community are going to get that invitation. What if we pray for those flyers? What if we take that time uniting together in prayer saying, God, methods don't do anything. But through Your power, You can give these people an invitation that they can't pass up. What if every prayer meeting... There were not just 30 of us there, but there were 60 of us there, 100 of us there, 120 at prayer meeting. What if on Sabbath mornings, those of you that can come earlier to the 9 o'clock prayer time, what if that room was packed with people pleading for God to do something more? I don't just want to keep coming to church and, and going through the motions. I want to see Jesus' power revealed because there are people outside the doors of this church who are dying for a lack of the knowledge that you and I have, who don't know Jesus like you and I have had the privilege of knowing Jesus. And I want them to hear. I want them to be warned. Will you join me in uniting together in prayer? Will you join me in in maybe getting a prayer partner? Maybe that's where it starts. That's what transformed Ron Chalker's life when he began to pray for an hour a day last fall after the prayer conference. Invite you to come to sign up for that prayer conference. It's going to be a wonderful thing. 
Maybe it's to pray with your spouse on a daily basis. I don't know what it's exactly going to look like for you, but I want to know. Are you going to commit to uniting in prayer for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit? If that's your desire, would you stand with me as I pray? Father, we're standing. I'm standing because we're longing for more of Jesus. We're longing to be made witnesses. We're longing for power from heaven. We want to go home. We see the signs all around us. We see what's going on in this world. We recognize that what this world needs is more of the love of Jesus, more of the truth about Jesus that the Bible so clearly reveals. Father, today, as we're gathered together in your name, there's more than two or three of us here. Thank you, Jesus, for being here with us right now. And Jesus, we ask that you would pour out a spirit of prayer on us, that you would give us an earnestness in prayer, that you would bind us together, you'd unite us in such a way that you can pour out your Holy Spirit like we've never seen before, so that we can reach our family, we can reach our friends, we can reach our co-workers and tell them about the love of Jesus. Thank you, Father, that where two or three of us are agreed together concerning anything, that it is done by our Father in heaven. Thank you for pouring out your Holy Spirit on your people this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.